Hey, Scott, how's it going? I'm pretty good. How many milligrams of caffeine have you had today? Um, not many. I would say probably about 400. Um, I'm sitting at about five, huh? Yeah. Yeah. Trying to keep it light because I have to sleep tonight. Um, yeah, sleeping is good. <laughs> That's great. All right. I'm going to stop for a second. Actually, I want to keep that because you guys have good chemistry and maybe that'll even go in. Who knows? <laughs> Been told that before. <laughs> This is Report Back, the San Francisco chapter of the Democratic Socialists of America podcast. Our chapter is made up of 1,000 members in 16 issue-based and internal-facing committees where the heart of our organizing happens. This is a praxis-centered podcast where we talk about the tactics and strategies of winning socialism with the organizers who plan and implement them. I'm David Hellman, member of DSASF. And in this episode, we hear from Cassidy Cocken and Scott Chowning of Facebook Bike Share about their efforts to unionize their workplace. In fact, I spoke to them while they were at work. Hey, I can hear you guys. What's up? Oh, there you are. Hey, Cassidy. Hello, hello. I also hear ah. beautiful music playing. Oh, yeah, we're listening to some Bahamas here. That's nice. Um, I'm driving around in the uh, in the company van. Oh. Going to go look for bikes out in East Palo Alto. Are you at work right now? I am, but I'm not driving the car, so I can talk. Facebook Bike Share is part of a Bay Area unionizing wave, which includes Anchor Brewing, Ford Go Bike, and West Coast Pet Care Workers. Every story is different, yet the same, workers recognizing their common interest and forming new bonds to change the reality of power at their workplace. My name is Cassidy. I work at uh, Facebook Bike Share over in Menlo Park. I've been working here for about a year and a half. Yeah, my name's Scott. Um, I also work at the Facebook Bike Share. I've been working here for just under three years. And yeah, could you talk about, um, now, first of all, are you, you technically both employees of Bikes Make Life Better? Is that correct? And Facebook's a client of Bikes Make Life Better? Yeah, that's correct. Um, we work for a contracting company. The contracting company we work for is called Bikes Make Life Better. And essentially, Facebook is their largest client and compromises the majority of their business. But that being said, we are still employed by a separate entity from Facebook. Um, could you guys both describe like what you do at, at the company and what the job is like? Yeah. Um, so there's a lot of bikes <clears throat> we have out there um, in the field um, around the campus. And so the main sort of contract with this company is to fix those bikes, make sure they're working on order and um, move them around the campus to ensure there's a bike at every spot, um, you know, in front of every building, essentially, uh, for the Facebook workers to uh to get around campus with. Um, there's a couple other facets to the company, which is like a bike ambassador program, which um, tries to facilitate ridership to and from campus. Um, and then finally we have a mechanics team that fixes the bikes and they also um, service uh, individual bikes for the Facebook employees. I've actually never been to the Facebook campus, but I hear it's pretty, well, like the amenities are pretty intense. Like there's a lot of food, is it a pretty spacious campus as well? I guess you'd need bikes to get from one end to the other. Yeah, campus is just massive. Um, it's essentially stretches between two freeway exits on the 101 freeway, um, but it's about two miles from one tip of the campus to the other. So um, between the congestion and the traffic here and the fact it's so spread out, bikes are really the best way to get around. It's much more efficient than driving between offices and it's much more efficient than walking. So, yeah, part of the reason why our program has flourished is just based on that campus infrastructure. Huge campus. It really feels like a small city all of its own. 
And uh, like, how's the job been? I mean, I guess there's been some uh, some problems that that um, sparked this uh, desire to form a union. So could you talk about just sort of how the job is? Um, yeah, I mean, to be honest, I really enjoy the job that I have. Um, I really take pride in helping people be green and uh, to ride bikes as opposed to driving. So conceptually, I really appreciate what we're doing here. Um, and it's very rewarding personally. Um, one of the issues we were facing was um, sort of the, uh, the pay scale wasn't going up, even though responsibilities were increasing. Um, so that was kind of an issue we had um, where there was essentially no raise um, from last year to this year. And there was no real, it didn't seem like there's any possibility of them helping getting us a, a raise uh, going forward. So that was really concerning and we weren't feeling like we were being represented very well by our management. Um, so I think that was one of the biggest points that we had um, to motivate people to want to start joining this union. Yeah, I'll echo Scott and say that like the day-to-day -day of my job, I enjoy a lot compared to other bike industry jobs. We are treated fairly well and our wages and our benefits are, are pretty good compared to other bike industry jobs in the Bay. Um, but one of the big frustrations that we had over the past year is that um, we work on the Facebook campus, obviously, that has so much excess and so much just wealth all around us. And while we see this excess all around us, we're still told that basically our department um, has their hands tied and we can't get any more funding for any of the things that we need. So that was kind of a point of um, point of organizing contention for us is that, yes, while our wages are better than some bike shops, um, it's definitely not the best that Facebook can do. And we're not being treated very well compared to a lot of the other employees on campus. Um, I'll echo Scott as well. And in addition to some of the issues with pay scale, we had a lot of issues the past year with transparency within our own internal management team. Um, just working for a contracting company, it's, there's a lot of ambiguity day to day about um, like some of those expectations or some of the expectations that might be different from our company as compared to the expectations from Facebook. And over the past year, we just had some internal issues with feeling like our team wasn't being supported and feeling like there really wasn't anything that we could do with the current structure and paradigm to support. So had to change that picture up a bit. Mm -hmm. uh, were you... Uh looking at other efforts uh, in other industries, neighboring industries, um, like the Ford uh, Go Bike uh, unionization or the Anchor Steam Union, were those things kind of like inspiring you as you were considering this? Yeah, so a lot of those the other uh, campaigns around us were in the front of our mind for sure. Um, we worked through the transportation vertical here at Facebook. And in the past, the shuttle teams and the tram teams and other transportation teams have unionized and have organized successfully. So we were looking within our own department at Facebook, even there are other contracting teams that were unionized. We're able to look at some of their struggles and some of their organizing fights. Um, at the same time that we were first kind of looking into organizing our team, the Ford Go Bike campaign in San Francisco is underway and the TWU was organizing there, which is the Transport Workers Union. So we were able to work, look pretty directly to campaigns that were happening right around us. And that was how we first got in contact with with the TWU was just by seeing that they were doing bike related work just right in our own backyard. That's really interesting. And you, you Cassidy and Scott, were you the two who basically kicked off the organizing committee? Uh, yeah, actually we are the organizing committee. <laughs> I see. How, how many people did you have to organize? I mean, how many employees are there? Uh, we got 50 employees, just over 50. Um, and, uh, yeah, to get, um, we tried to get about 70% of them to sign cards. Mm-hmm. 
before moving forward with an election process. Could you talk a bit about just all the preparation? I know there's a lot of careful preparation that goes into um, forming a union and you need to start with a list of all the names of all the employees. Was was that tricky? Was it uh, easy to have confidential conversations or difficult? Well, what was that period of time like? How long did that take? Um, so basically the prep period and the research period for us was a few months long. Um, I'll just quickly answer this and pass it to Scott. Basically, we were very inspired and got a lot of like early um, kind of guidance from a podcast that a podcast called Chapo Trap House did around the anchor steam organizing. Mm-hmm. So we were able to kind of look directly at um, people that were doing it right before us to get kind of a background about what we should be doing. That's super cool. It's just kind of like uh, leapfrogging. Yeah, right. yeah. So yeah, I mean, the process was kind of as you described it, you know, um, we we started looking at everyone and figuring out maybe what was activating them, um, having, you know, personal conversations about what they were maybe frustrated about the company and then starting to map them out um, to see what kind of support we had from the team. Um, And then going from there, trying to work on people who, you know, like we hadn't talked to. And then after following up with conversations after that to try and um, see where they were at, encouraging them to do research letting them know what we were trying to do. Um, it's interesting, though, because, you know, you can't outright say union um, in your first conversation. So it's a sort of a little dance of a conversation that you have to do in order to sort of imply that, perhaps, um, and also just feel out the person you're talking to. Some people will jump right to that conclusion in the first conversation, but other people might be uh, very turned off by that idea at first. So you have to be pretty careful in terms of how you approach it. Um, obviously, there's the issue of... Um, you know, if you talk to the wrong person, that person may suddenly go to management saying that, uh, you know, Scott uh, approached me about starting a union. And I'm very worried about that, um, which, in fact, did happen. Really? When, uh, when did that happen? What were you how far along were you and like how many people had you approached when that happened? It was pretty early on. Um, and I think maybe we'd talked to I think half of the employees about this point. Um but we hadn't necessarily started signing cards or really moving ahead in any formal way. Um, and so management got tipped off and we were pulled in to uh, a room and we're just all discussed pretty, pretty upfront, you know, what's going on and please, you know, you're not allowed to talk about this at work, et cetera. Um, so that was pretty scary. Um, but we just kept on going, um, just became a little more cautious about who we approached, um, which, huh was frustrating because in the end there were a few people who felt like this got sprung on them. Um, and that was really unfortunate. I wish I could have had, um, the ability to speak to every single person about what we were doing before oh. going ahead with signing cards. We have a pretty big team and spread out all, all across campus amongst different departments. So Scott and I had a really, um, had a lot of success talking to our own team and talking, you know, to the people that work around us. But since our campus is so spread out and our teams are so spread out, there was maybe a half a dozen people that we didn't really get a chance to have like an in-depth conversation with at all regarding this before our, our company actually started their anti-union campaign and started fighting us outright. So it kind of felt um, felt like if we had more time before there was an initial leak, we might have had a better chance of being able to talk to all of those people. But at the same time, like we were definitely at this point operating like with the uh, assumption that we weren't allowed to talk about this and we're being watched and there's all these other things going on. So... Looking back, yeah, I agree with Scott. I wish we could have talked to everybody, but realistically, if your management is watching you and like fighting you very early, um, it's hard to do that. 
possible. I mean, we had management just standing around watching us sometimes even, you know, like <clears throat> they would alter their hours to ensure that uh, there was a presence at every shop and stuff like this. I find this whole process really fascinating. Um, I heard Evan from uh, from the uh, working on the Anchor Union um, talk to the reading analysis discussion group at DSA about this, and it was just so fascinating to hear about the organi- organizing process. And I guess it's, I guess for me, it's because um, I think most people have some degree of conflict avoidance, which isn't necessarily a bad trait to have in some degree. Um, it isn't always, you know, you don't always want to like be confrontational and in everybody's face about things, but it can be very inhibiting when you need to stand up for yourself. And um, the workplace is just such a fraught environment for uh, pushing power dynamics, which is what this is all about. So I just like wonder what it uh, feels like to to be working on this thing behind the scenes, planning it, anticipating uh, the moment it becomes public and you come to management and then like it can only imagine what it would feel like to have um, the whole game board shifted on you and you have to then go in and talk to management before you're ready, but then kind of like toughen up and carry on. Is there anything else you could say about just what it felt like to go through those steps? I mean, it was pretty exhilarating, um, to be honest. It was pretty fun. Um, Not to make light of the stresses that I had and the sleepless nights that both Cassie and I (laughs) faced during all of this. But um, yeah, I mean, I felt like I was doing the right thing the whole time. So I didn't really question it. Um, That's great. So I felt with like the moral sense of correctness there, which made it a lot easier to go ahead and try to talk to people. Mm -hmm. Um, There were plenty of frustrating days. And, you know, as as it went on, a lot of people started to just say, like, I don't want to talk about this right now or you get kind of shut out um, from certain social circles. You know, they see you walk over to the bench and they're like, oh, God, you know, this guy's going to try and force this again. So um, it became difficult and especially getting those last few card signers to really understand what we were doing. Um, there were a lot of very frustrating days where it felt like we were getting nowhere. Um, in terms of dealing with management, um, uh, I think it, it could be pretty frightening for a lot of people to hear them basically threaten you and threaten your job and things like this, right? Like that's when people are saying, you know, it's like if if, the, if we lose this, then you won't have union protections. Like you know what that means, right? Um, so that that definitely is scary. Um, but they also are kind of. It felt like they didn't know what was going on as much as we were in control um, of the situation. In a lot of ways. I don't know if you want to elaborate on that, Cass, at all. Yeah, overall, the process for me felt very emotionally gratifying, very emotionally rewarding. Um, Scott and I in our current roles are like somewhat of a team leader on our teams. So we've had some access to management um, just through our roles, and we've been able to present some of our needs to management directly. And really over like the past year, it's been super apparent that like management was not going to respond to any of the needs that we brought to the table and really mm-hmm. was just kind of dismissive of, of what we were expressing that our team needed. So while this was very stressful and while like it felt very high adrenaline and very high energy day to day, um, just doing something felt very emotionally gratifying because we've been told for so long that there's not really anything that we can do. Um, so just to be working, working on something and working towards what felt like it could potentially help our team in the future just felt super emotionally gratifying. Yeah, I'll agree with that one for sure. Yeah, that makes sense. And that's, that's really awesome to hear when you have the, when you have that certainty that you're, doing the right thing, then you can kind of tolerate the anxiety in a different way and it still feels good. 
Very true. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> in my experience. Um, so I guess there were some uh, mandatory meetings where they tried to make the case against the union. What was that like? So fairly early on in their like anti-union campaign, um, they held uh, two different meetings within a week that were voluntary meetings. Um, they branded them as like question and answer town hall style meetings. But they also very clearly uh, made it clear, at least, that the reason why they're holding these meetings, which is very out of the usual, not something that they would usually hold. Um, the reason they're holding these meetings is that they heard that there was some discontent and they wanted to be able to hear from us and make sure that everything was OK, essentially. Um, so those were the first meetings that we were asked to attend. They're all voluntary, but for the most part, the whole team was there. And they got pretty heated and they got pretty emotional. Um, they felt really felt like vent sessions where people from all different departments were like just kind of letting management know about um, some of the ways their needs weren't being met. But they also felt um, pretty unifying for our for the union side for us at the moment because it kind of seemed like we're all in the same room together. We were able to kind of speak to management directly, and like you said, it's all about that power dynamic, and just about you know never before in our company's history had we all been in the same room like voicing our grievances like that directly to management and ownership. It sounds like the format they chose to deliver their message kind of backfired because you had never been all together that way. So you actually felt more united being right. there facing yeah. management than if they'd maybe like broken you up more or done more, you know, oh, tried that's, to... that's part two, part two. Oh, okay. Go ahead. <laughs> so the yeah. first week, the first week, the meetings were voluntary and they, they did feel like kind of an emotional win for, for our organizing side. Um, the second week, they held meetings that were pretty much textbook and captive meetings. Um, they were able to determine through kind of those earlier meetings and through other talks that there was like a pretty stark division amongst our departments. So they split us up department by department and spoke to each department directly. And in the meetings in the second week, there was really no pretense of neutrality. There was no pretense of like um, working through things as a team. They were just <clears throat> literally just reading like anti-union propaganda off of a script. Um, our meetings went pretty well, like the meetings that Scott and I's department were put through. Um, there were a lot of people on our team at that point that were pretty activated and really understood what was going on. And they called management out directly during the meetings, called them out on the ship and called them out on, you know, some of the intimidation tactics they're using. But from what I hear from the other departments meetings, um, that didn't really happen in all the departments and the other departments where Scott and I were not present in the meetings, a lot of those kind of bullet points that were really just like misinformation and, and propaganda, they were able to fly under the radar and land us truth because people weren't really calling them out. So that second week of meetings, yeah, it turned into kind of textbook captive audience meetings with, with ownership just reading off anti-union bullet points to each department. It became fairly contentious. Sorry about that. It became uh, pretty contentious uh, between the sort of pro-union and anti-union voices, even amongst the team. Um, and so there's a lot of pretty heated debate um, Cass and I didn't really engage with that a whole lot. You know, we were still talking and trying to be positive, but I think like arguing over chats really wasn't what we wanted to do. And uh, yeah, the management obviously didn't really step in to try and stop any of that because, or at least a whole lot, because um, they wanted that division to be to be there um, in order to make sure that uh, we weren't unified and we weren't having a solid conversation about this that was truthful and more just an emotional based sort of fear-based um, arguments against a union that was benefiting them. So after those initial meetings, um, basically we were able to get an election date very quickly, um, which worked in our favor. Um, 
our company challenged the votes of Scott and myself, as well as a couple of people in our like team leader position. And they were hoping to draw things out um, before the election because they're hoping, you know, if they can delay things legally, they could hopefully make us lose some momentum. But um, their initial challenge on our votes was thrown out by the NLRB. And basically, um, they were hoping to really delay things and have more meetings, is my understanding. But we were able to get an election date fairly quickly. So between that second week of meetings and our election date, which was just about a two-week window, um, management was very aggressive with like firing and um, misinformation campaign. They handed out like a lot of uh, propaganda, like directly directly to people. Um, it's pretty much just scare tactic based mm -hmm. with like kind of textbook anti-union stuff. But they didn't hold any more meetings within that um, like two-week window, and I think a lot of that again is because they were they thought they would have more time, and they were kind of trying to approach things from different angles. You mentioned their delay tactic with the National Labor Relations Board. Was that their claim that some of the people um, uh, in your ranks were actually supervisors and therefore management not allowed to be in the union? Right. So yeah. Scott, Scott and myself are um, essentially like dispatchers. So we look at an app that has information about where all the bikes are on campus and we kind of ask people to move those bikes around. Um, in the past, we really haven't had any managerial authority or much supervisor authority. Um, that's been part of the reason why we really started organizing originally is we felt this company needed to restructure because there wasn't really stress wasn't being shared very equally amongst the teams. And Scott and I really didn't have any power out in the field. Um, now, fast forward to the union election times, our company is claiming that we're supervisors and that we have all sorts of powers that should keep us out of the union. Um, they your supervisors. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, so they challenged four votes of myself and Scott and uh, two other people in our role. Um, Basically, at this point, um, it's going to be interesting to see how that pans out. There's another uh, person in our role as well who they did not challenge. And it was pretty apparent that, you know, Scott, myself and the two people in our role, um, we had all been kind of like yes votes and leaders in the campus here. And it was obvious to, to our employer that we we're going to be voting yes, which to me is why they challenged our votes, obviously, and didn't challenge the vote of the fifth captain, who was obvious. I was, you know, voicing no sentiments and was going to vote no. Um, so it seemed like a pretty political delay tactic. At this point, we have a hearing in a couple of weeks um, to finally like determine um, what our employee employee status is. But it looks like, I mean, now um, I'm super concerned. I think things are going to go our way. There's a lot of precedent. Oh, so that's still kind of hanging uh, in the balance, even though you're you're fairly confident. I didn't realize that, but you did take your vote already. Um, so we when we did finally have the vote, um, it came out to 23 to 21, not including the uh, contested votes. So regardless, um, the people voice their desire to be within a union um, without our votes. Well, what happens if the union forms it, but you can't be in it? It's kind of bittersweet. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> it feels like a lot of work would have been um, kind of lost. At the same time, though, I mean, it's not. it really wasn't for us. I mean, I think it was for for the rebounders mostly, and I just really hope that they would take this and run with it um, without us being in it. Um, I think it would really take a lot of wind out of the sails um, in terms of, um, you know, as Cass and I are the main organizers and main agitators and all of this. Um, so losing two fairly strong voices, I think, would be detrimental to the union, but um, I'd hope that other people would stand up and uh, sort of take over. I wonder if support for the union will grow. I mean, if people will be more happy with it now that they got past the vote. I mean, it seems like the fight with management and the establishment of the union itself 
uh, surely would raise a lot of anxiety and maybe some number of people are more, you know, once that's passed, they'll kind of get more comfortable with it. I totally overall, agree. Uh, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I'd say overall that's that's kind of what we're seeing happen already. So the vote was just a little over a week ago. Um, in the week since that vote, yeah, the emotions have calmed down a lot. A lot of the people that were, you know, not talking to me a couple of weeks ago are at least being pleasant and reaching their hand across the aisle in some fashion. Um, our ownership's campaign against the union was very much so like based on misinformation and fear tactics. So my thought is that you know, within a couple of months when a lot of these fear, like fears that are really just based on false claims and based on like misinformation, once those fears are proven to not be true and to prove to not have any bearing, I think a lot of the people that are still kind of emotional and scared right now um, will we'll come around and see, see really what, what happened here, which is that our ownership tried to lie to us and tried to manipulate us, but we were able to successfully organize anyway. Can, before we move on from the vote, uh, can, we, can you talk a little bit more about the day and just what that was like? I know, was it the day, was it before the vote that uh, Bernie Sanders tweeted about it? Yeah, it was. Um, yeah, he tweeted in support of us trying to unionize. Um, and that was just so exciting. I mean, obviously anxiety levels are pretty high, but um, I don't know. And there's all these arguments going on and, you know, pretty high tension just in general within the company. And then to finally get this Bernie tweet to come through, it felt a little bit like uh, Gandalf coming in with the riders of Rohan, you know, as dawn emerges. Like, it just, it really gave a lot of people a lot of hope and um, a lot more energy going into that vote, for sure. That's great. Oh, I just remember something else. I didn't ask about um, the involvement of DSASF and DSA Silicon Valley. Could you talk about the um, involvement of, of DSA and, and what kind of what that relationship was like? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so very on in our organizing process, when we're really just doing research and networking, um, we met an employee on campus who was a Facebook employee. She um, was a member of the DSA in San Francisco, and we were referred to him through some other contacts that Scott has. But this uh, employee on Facebook who's a DSA member was really instrumental in like linking us up with other people um, in the TWC, which is the Tech Workers Coalition. And eventually through those connections is how we um, met the organizers with TWU, the Transport Workers Union that we ended up organizing through. So early on, DSA to us was like a great, um, great networking resource. And they introduced us to all the right people and introduced us to people that had done this in the past. And they also, frankly, were just very directly supportive as well. Um, there were many times early in our campaign where we had lots of people asking us how we could help. And since our shop is so weird and we have kind of a unique workplace, we really just wanted to focus on the internal politics and try to just like um, work on people one at a time internally. But basically every chance that, that they had to, to offer help DSA was super helpful and was trying to volunteer to get more involved. Yeah, um, I was really very appreciative of that um, as well. Um, I think, yeah, as Cassie was saying, it was pretty internal for a long time. But I think that... Uh, you know, assuming everything goes through once negotiations start, um, I think that's when a lot of external help could be utilized. And what about the Transport Workers Union? How have you found um, meeting those folks and what the, what's that been like? Um, that's been pretty lovely. Um, the people are very, very fun and uh, very intelligent. It's uh, <clears throat> I learned a whole lot through speaking with them and um, they've been very supportive throughout this whole thing, but, uh, um, you know, not pushed at all and letting us to make during all this process, which I was very empowering. 
where do things stand right now and, and like what can DSA members or other listeners do to support you guys right now? So at the moment, we're still waiting for the election results to be verified. Um, they won't be officially verified until after our hearing, which is on the second week of July. So right now we're in kind of a weird limbo space. Our employer seems like they're trying to draw things out still because, frankly, once the election is verified, we'll be going directly to the bargaining table. And I don't think that they're ready for that. And they're just, they just we want to push that off as long as they can. Um, so right now we're in kind of a weird limbo space where the lawyers are handling that litigation side of things. Scott and I are just working on organizing internally more and really reaching our hand across the aisle and trying to um, bridge some of those gaps that were created throughout the campaign. Um, as far as our listeners can help, I think right now, um, check out the TWU, Transport Workers Union, check out the DSA, um, check out some of the other campaigns that they have going on and just really try to educate yourself overall about the state of the economy and the tech economy in Silicon Valley. Once we're moving into the bargaining phase and we're over um, kind of this litigation phase, We'll definitely be asking for more widespread support and we'll have social media accounts running and we'll be asking for um, support just online and in person to get out, get out the union message. But mm -hmm. at the moment, right now, we're still working on things internally. I'd say within the next month, we'll have some call to actions ready and we'll pass that on to the DSA directly and get some more people involved. Well, that's awesome, guys. Um, I think we can wrap it up. Is there anything else you want to say closing out? I just thank you for the opportunity. Yeah, this has been really great. And, um, you know, I was inspired through a podcast. So I hopefully uh, can pass that on to someone else. Yeah, keep it going. Uh, throughout this process, um, there were a lot of times where it felt like this was going to be impossible. It felt like we were basically working against capitalism overall and working against Facebook and working against some of these giant oppressive powers. Um, it's going to feel like that in any organizing campaign because that's how they want you to feel, right? The capitalists that own your company. They want you to feel like it's hopeless because that's that's how they are able to exploit you. So anyone listening that's interested in organizing or wants to be um, organizing their workplace, just keep moving. It, it is possible, even if you're working against a giant like Facebook, as long as you're like doing your best and, and trying to fight a highbrow campaign, it is possible. And, and hopefully we prove that for some of the people that are fighting next. Oh, yeah. I think that's a perfect statement to close out. Uh, thank you guys so much and good luck. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for your time, man. We'll see you at a future DSA meeting. Yeah, for sure. Later. Bye-bye. Bye. Cassidy and Scott asked me to mention another Facebook worker action coming up, and that's for flagship cafeteria workers. They already belong to a union, Unite Here Local 2, and they're asking flagship to honor standard contract provisions like an eight-hour workday, protection against automation, industry standard wages to make it possible to live in the Bay Area, and affordable comprehensive health insurance. Flagship workers are holding their rally in San Francisco on Tuesday, July 16th at 4 p.m. at 181 Fremont Street. For more information, search Facebook for Unite Here Local 2 or visit unitehere2.org. The Democratic Socialists of America is the largest socialist organization in the United States. We have over 120 chapters in 49 states. We are an activist organization, not a political party. To become a member, go to dsausa.org. To find out what our local chapter is up to, visit dsasf.org. Our intro music is by Young Chomsky.